Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. Call the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and joining us today, very funny young woman. I just saw her, and I hope I'm not insulting you by saying young woman, but I because I feel old. But, <laughs> I'll accept uh, the young. I'll accept the young. Uh, Jenny Yang, I just saw caught a set of hers in uh, L.A., very funny comedian. She's an American comedian, writer, and actor, and in 2020 was uh, named as one of Variety's 10 Comics to Watch. So I hope you're watching for this and listening. When we get back, we have a lot to talk about. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is Jenny Yang, a young comedian from L.A. Jenny, like I said, caught your set uh, last, what, two weeks ago in L.A. Yeah. Very, very funny. Uh, and I thank you for that. Uh, oh my goodness you you were so sweet i saw you and your 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 sons all three of them it's like a three pack of of handsome <laughs> that right was my outside birthday, by the way that was that was them taking me out for my birthday and they know that's how right. I'm comedy oh <laughs> i love that i love that everyone's energy was so just excited and positive and you were also so glowing and, and telling me how funny you thought i was so i was it made my night i'm like yeah <laughs> there you go i'm funny well, great as a and a little confession here i've done stand up and and you have oh yeah yeah wait a minute let me check your wikipedia page where does that (laughs) we need to add that to your page it should be added to my wikipedia page but uh (laughs) so the name of the show is just ask the question so let's start with just asking the question um do you find it hard these days to do stand up do you worry about um the culture and the divisive culture of america when you stand up to tell a joke no, I don't worry about that as a comedian. I worry about that as a human. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like as a comedian, you know, we have so much latitude. There's so much uh, creativity we can utilize to get our message across. Right. So I think that's just a matter of your craft and, and what your voice is and your perspective. But, you know, in terms of the divisiveness, yes, I mean, I'm I'm concerned in general. But yeah. I think for me, for me, for me, you know, I think um, I I most people will tell you if they're a comedian, they want to connect with as wide of an audience as possible. But however, comedy is not unlike music in that you just sometimes you have your taste. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, so sometimes you can't be, you know, all things to everyone. So um, so I, I think bearing that in mind, um, you just do what you can to stay true to what you want to talk about, but you also need to pay attention to what's in the air and who people are. Well, so that reading an audience heard. is important for it. Yes. Yeah. Because you can, I can say whatever I want, but I also want to be heard. Right. So right. there's, I feel like there's a back and forth around, you know, what, what's the language that I use? What are the concepts that I talk about? You know, how, how do I tell the story so that, um, People will be engaged and not write me off or not, you know what I mean? Sort of prejudge. Cause that's so much of 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 uh being a good comedian is being able to uh break through immediately to an audience so that they'll listen to you, or else it's just they'll be distracted or you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah, well, it's I find it easier the job. If you're gonna be if you're doing comedy, I'll say you compared it to music. I, I've played in a band that done stand-up, I find it a lot easier. If I lose an audience and, and I'm singing, I can get them back on the next song. Sometimes it's a little harder getting that audience back when you're standing up there by yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, we I would agree with that. a minute ago. <laughs> I know. What did I do? I mean, you know, I, it's 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 possible. There's ways of resetting when you're in the middle of a set. I mean, it depends on how long your set is. But if you're a good comedian, hopefully you're aware of the room. And so if, if you're doing something that like all of a sudden tightens people up, then it's like oftentimes commenting on it loosens them up again because it's like any conversation. I mean, they don't get to really talk back, but they're communicating back to you. And when they communicate back to you that they're uncomfortable with something, oh, it helps to <laughs> oh yeah and you'll and it's best to acknowledge it or else yeah. it's hard to move on you know so it's a whole dance you know it's a conversation it's a what conversation. makes you laugh oh my goodness so many things make me laugh um i love i love silly things and satire it's hard for me to laugh at anything that increases my anxiety like cringe humor or like uh stuff where you know people's nuts are getting knocked you know like <laughs> i just Stooges. imagine You're the pain fan. no my dad was but i i'm not as much of a slapstick three Stooges. i love physical humor i just i'm not a real jackass like you know what i'm saying like, yeah, like people not... who like harm themselves for a laugh i i actually it doesn't it doesn't bring me pleasure no <laughs> to watch when i watched the three stooges when i was a kid and the you know first time i saw somebody get hit in the head with a ball peen hammer i go I don't find anything funny about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I find a lot of things funny, um, but it's just, just not the cringe and the self-harm humor. <laughs> well, here's one that I ask every comedian. Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, which laugh do you like? All right, so I'll put it this way. For those who haven't done stand-up, if you've been on the road, you know at the end of the night, all the comics usually will get together. There's an IHOP. There's... There's a coffee shop someplace at yeah. the end of the night, the comedians are going to get together and swap stories and, you know, sometimes make fun of each other or the, or the audience. Sure. Which is better on the road? Which laugh do you enjoy more or is it equal? 
making the the audience laugh or making other comics at the end of the night laugh yeah i don't give a fuck about comics oh can i first i'm sorry <laughs> they're not paying me yeah. <laughs> screw them <laughs> no i mean you know I, I i wouldn't be considered a road dog i would say that I, most of the touring that i've done which is a lot of touring has been independent shows that I produced as well as um, a lot of colleges and universities. So, you know, what? so that's ever so often I'll be on the bill with another comedian. But um, when I have been doing, you know, <laughs> comedy club type shows or, or, or what have you, of course I enjoy hanging out with my peers. But for the most part, I don't hang out with that many comedians. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up down here. I grew up down here in Los Angeles. You know what I mean? I have like real life friends. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, I do have comedian friends and we do swap stories. Um, but man, the, the reason why I do this is because I love connecting with an audience. That's, yeah. I'm never going to say I, I'm there to make a comedian laugh. You know, a comedian will laugh when you're bombing or they'll, yes, laugh well, they'll when, actually laugh more when you're bombing. I yeah. Think. When you're, when a joke doesn't work, but they're like, oh man, I get it. So that, that's a whole other thing. But I, I you know, of course I am there because I want I, the massive response from a, a, a 100% of the crowd, oh. it, it's there's nothing that beats that. No, ha having been on stage as a, as a singer and as a comedian, the best feeling you'll ever, and in doing plays, I still think the best feeling you'll ever have on stage is when you're there by yourself and you have a whole crowd in the palm of your hands. Yeah. Well, Brian, I need to know more. Know more. Tell me more about this uh <laughs> stand-up comedy experience that you have oh i like well let's let's stick with <laughs> mine is limited i i never got past but i got a good hard five i can do 25 and but the best the best gig i ever did was in virginia with a uh, i was a middling act of three and yeah. for 35 minutes in a crowd of about 500 people it was really fun so but, how long did you do it you said a few years well, i still do it on occasion when i have when i have something to say i have friends of mine that are comics and i I'll go and, and put in my hard five or 10 or really well, everyone. All right. Who are these comedian friends? Come on. Yeah. Got name. Oh, names. Kevin Lee, Brett, Brett Leak, uh, almost uh, Eastern uh, shore comedians, friends of mine. And then oh, I have some okay. friends on the West coast that are, and most of my friends are road comics. We used to run a room in Gaithersburg, Maryland, where we would have comics in all the time. And that was fun. Yeah. Gaithersburg, Maryland. North and, and of what... D.C. Uh, wow. It's north of D.C. A lot of fun. And wh what decade was this? I'm not that old. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I didn't mean it like that. Yeah. Back in the 1860s. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, was it was it early 2000s? Yeah. Was yeah, it uh, yeah. the 90s, the 2000s, early 2000s yeah. and 2010, I think. was. I like, know. I Listen, early 2000s. It's not that long ago, but to other people it is. But, you know, <laughs> I, I find that. Uh, yeah, that's true. But I find that the the um, landscape has changed. I like my wife. I, uh, my wife and I went to um, San Francisco recently and we, we were looking for a comedy club to go and, and visit. And it was all bloggers. There was, there was and, and podcasters that were on stage on it. There was no open mic night. And sometimes I don't know about you, but some of the funniest uh, I, I like is going to an open mic night and watching young comics bomb. But that's really yeah. see, listen, Brian, you your taste is different from my, I do not enjoy watching people bomb at all. Well, I want them to succeed. Yeah, well, that's that's true. All right, I'll give you that. But it's also fun to watch them hone their craft. Some of the best. Yes. Uh, I mean, I've gone to open mic nights and seen, you know, like uh, back in the day, and this is going to really date me by 
but you know george carlin would step up to a stage on an open mic night and work yeah. out a new bit richard pryor would do that of and course to, those of course. people do that uh was always to me just you know amazing so that and that brings me to my next question who's your favorite comedian other than yourself oh my goodness other than yourself that's so funny <laughs> i mean just me uh no i that's mean it. the hell with the rest of you people like to ask this question and it's really hard to give just one answer but i, I would agree. say yeah i would say you know the the sort of slate of people who inspired me growing up and when i was first trying to be a comedian includes eddie murphy george carlin margaret cho maria bamford oh i love maria bamford i love all oh yeah mentioned yeah yeah i, I mean I, I joke that like if if uh, maria bamford wasn't a woman everyone would be talking about her genius the way we Absolutely. used to talk about louis ck's genius <laughs> well before he became you know <laughs> be be before people knew that he was a uh uh not a <laughs> not a, yeah, not a consent acceptor. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those, I would say those are like my major, like people that left an impression on me from childhood to, to when I decided to become a comedian. And was there a point in time where you said, this is it, this is where, I, I mean, there had to have been, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, around 2010 was when I started to do stand up and and I was still working at, at the labor union that I used to work at. So I used to work in politics. Yes, I and know. That's why I, I, I particularly, that was another topic we wanted. But go ahead. You brought yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I you find know, politics is comic as, as comedian sometimes. Yes, but it's a different culture for sure. Um, I, you know, I, the question was what? Let me remember. What, what, the moment when you, what was your inspiration? Yes. Yes. Um, so basically I, I was, I was, um, a young director. There was a bunch of us who got hired in a very big union of 85,000 members who were in our twenties and early thirties. And we literally ran this huge multi-million dollar union. It was a lot of pressure. And by the time I became a director, I was like, this sucks. I do not look up to any of these people that are above me, like the board of directors or whatever. You know what I mean? The executive director, the chief of staff. I'm like, yeah. I don't, I will punch someone in the face. This is too much stress for too little reward. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I was like, I thought I was just going to give the best childbearing years of my life to this movement, but I don't think it's worth it anymore because I'd rather be happier. You know, right. um, and I'd rather be rewarded for my work. And so it, it, I be the only thing that saved me and my mental health in the last couple of years before I fully quit politics was I decided to just open myself up to creative experiences, including taking an improv class at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater right. and trying stand up comedy. And so it was a process. There wasn't like a moment, but there ha I mean, there had to be a moment because it, it, it took quitting my first career in politics and then being like well, let's see how much better I can get at this comedy thing. How do I make a career out of it? And then it was just like, no, life's too short. I just have to see what I can do to make a living, lower my expenses, right? And right. I was able to find a very valuable assistant job in Hollywood at an NBC sitcom called Whitney uh, on the oh, second season yeah. of Whitney Cummings' sitcom back in the day. So um, so I would say that's kind of the the evolution of like being like, okay, how do I turn this hobby right into possibly a career? And and how what drew you to politics and what was your goal when you were in politics? Oh man. Well, you know, I am an overachieving <laughs> Asian American from Torrance, California. 
and I was student body president. I was very, very uh, leadership and student government girl. So uh, when I went to Swarthmore College, small liberal arts college outside of Philadelphia, um, I actually ended up becoming very active in this very small school as a student activist, working with the students of color, um, you know, advocating for better student services and recognition for uh, the students of color there. And so um, I think it was like a foregone conclusion, you know, like when people in college, they like, oh, my God, what am I going to major in? For right. me, it was a foregone conclusion to go into politics or political science or policy. Wow. And so that's what I did. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've gotten full scholarships to go <laughs> to school. Um, I went to grad school at UCLA, did everything except graduate. And um, and I went into the labor movement. That that was it was just, you well, know, certain mentors that was working in labor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I had certain I had certain um, mentors who found me who said you would be you would do really well working in the labor movement. And so wow. that, you know, I think to to answer your question more directly, um, I it, it wasn't until college that I realized that there were certain injustices um, in the the house that I grew up in that was connected to the injustices of the world. And that if I can't fix my family, I can try to fix the world. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's that's a lot of the motivation of, of young activists. And so that's what I did. I was like, well, you know, um, I see gender oppression and class problems and, you know, uh, and all that. So let me see if I could do something about that in politics or policy. Yeah, that, but you seem way too well adjusted to be a comic. <laughs> I, I I am arguably in the top ten percent of well adjusted comedians. Yes, <laughs> I had a very good friend who was he was I think in nineteen eighty six or eighty seven he was ordered uh, the the funniest comic in D.C. and he yeah. was really funny guy, uh, <clears throat> and then he went nuts. Oh, and at I one know. point in time, spent like 30 days in, in, a, in a, a booby hatch and then came out and was still depressed. Right. And walked into a, um, walked into, here in DC area, walked into a fire department with a little box and said he had a, he had a box for the president and he had to deliver it to himself. Ooh. There was a key to the box and only me and one other comic had the key to it. At that time, I was already covering the White House. I said, Bill, I really don't need any addition to my Secret Service file. What the <laughs> hell did you do? <laughs> I need to keep my credentials you to know, get in the like, White House. It's tough enough, pal. And he talked about it, killing himself. And he said, you know, yeah, um, yeah. he sat there. He said he had the gun in his hand and oh. was drinking. And he said, and I thought, if what happens if my parents find me, they go, Oh, my, my son, what did we do wrong? And he said, and I thought if my kids found me, what would they do? And then he said, and then I thought if my ex-wife found me, she'd go, I'll take the rug. I'll take the sofa. I'll take, and I'm going, Jesus, you're doing a bit right now. <laughs> like, damn. That's so rough. I know. I mean, that's when, that's when, that is a definitely an extreme case, I would say. Yeah, um, you think? <laughs> I think so. I, um, I think, I think people, people like to ask about these types of stereotypes of comedians, but I feel like it's like any other profession. Um, there is, you know, people have undiagnosed mental health issues everywhere. Okay. And there's only a small subset of the population who are comedians, especially working comedians. And so yep. once you kind of have a small, you know, you know, your statistics, if you have a small sample size, then, you know, 
it's going to feel like everyone in the population has a problem, you know? So well, only when I, they talk about it, everybody's on stage is talking about therapy and I'm going, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. No, <laughs> totally. Totally. I, th I feel like, um, you know, maybe we've always had so much undiagnosed mental illness, both in the comedian community as well as in the general population. But the, the, the zeitgeist has changed so that people feel more comfortable sharing about it. And so it might feel like there's more people with problems when it's, they're just finally acknowledging something yeah. that people, people were tab, it was taboo to talk about, you know, we're, and, all screwed and up, we're just now talking about it. Exactly. I would agree. I, I don't, I, I, Generally, I've never taken a scientific poll, but I, I would say there's probably a higher propensity for people who work in the creative arts to oh, um, have uh, some kind of emotional issue. <laughs> but well, I think it stems from, and maybe you can correct me, but it's from what I see, it's that you can see things from multiple points of view. Yeah. The comedian, you know, you're trying to, to craft a joke so you can see it from <clears throat> several points of view and many people cannot and it's that ability to see more the empathy of seeing more that sometimes causes you know that uh the stress that you speak of uh, but that's just yeah yeah i think i think in general most people who are attracted to comedy have felt like an outsider in some way way and so they have a perspective that allows them to hopefully you know go between worlds and and i think it's that friction between the perspectives that helps to make the thing funny you know <laughs> I, well yes that too i can't tell you a politician i've ever covered that i haven't sat there listening to him speak and going oh all right that's a straight line here's the punch here's at least six yeah. punch lines right I mean, they found for example that there was a headline today that they found white powder in the uh, district attorney's office in manhattan and immediately immediately I, I thought of okay don jr was there one uh well, yeah. <laughs> what, what was it they were snorting too you know it, it just right doom, doom, doom. and you know which one would work in an audience i go i can't try this one in the white house briefing room but i wonder if it would work <laughs> <laughs> i mean it sounds like given your journalistic career it made it tough for you to also do stand-up comedy <laughs> i don't know i there was a line that jeff daniels gave in the newsroom when he was playing guitar and they said oh you're the guy who plays uh guitar for a hobby he goes no i'm a newsman for a hobby i play guitar you know the newsman on the side so i don't know maybe my hobby is news <laughs> is that right okay <laughs> well if, if 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 news is your hobby then you've made a quite a career from it yeah that's yeah that's, <laughs> i'm just i'm just better at my hobby than what i really like to do I oh guess. no <laughs> oh no yeah so if you were uh, here's another one i like to ask if you if if you could take well I'll, I'll phrase it this way. You're on stage mm. and they ask you to do improv. What, what, what issue would you love to have tossed at you to, to just riff on what subject matter? Oh, you mean to improvise a stand-up comedy yeah. set? Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, what is the subject matter? Well, I talk a lot about dating relationships and my family uh, and sort of miscommunication <laughs> with, uh, your parents and your own inner child. So I would say that's like sort of my, and, and Asian American identity, race issues. But in terms of what I want now to, to riff on, oh man, you know, I left politics for a reason, even though I still keep up and I still care. Right. It's hard. It, it's, too, it's very painful for me to dig too deep into sort of what's going on because it's like, if you've, if you've 
been inside the baseball. You don't want to see it anymore sometimes. Right. <laughs> you know, um, so, yeah. And it's both know, sides that I... bother me. I, I, I get tired. I mean, of... All of it. All of it is yeah, hard. It's hard. It. It's like when you could, you know how the machinery works. I mean, my first job essentially was being a lobbyist for the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. Wow. I was, you know, 20 something years old wearing a power suit, trying to look older than I was you know, trying to make friends with, um, with, with, uh, with the, the staffers. And so, uh, yeah, it's like, once you know how the sausage is made, it's tough. Um, I don't know. I love, I do like, I do like riffing off of, um, you know, wellness and self-care issues and, and dating and relationships. That's definitely something that I care a lot about and that I talk to my friends about. Is there anything you won't talk about on stage? I won't talk about. Um, you know, I feel like my philosophy as a comedian is generally to punch up. And I know that's not the philosophy of all comedians. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and my philosophy and you said that with a straight face. <laughs> yes. And, and, and my philosophy about being a comedian is I, I do believe my job is to bring people delight, but also I, I I like to pay attention to the possible consequences of what I'm saying. And so um, if I feel like I had a funny idea and the thing that's funny to me once said out in the public might be seen weirdly or misconstrued in a way that I felt like it would be possibly harmful to people's idea of a certain group of who I am, whatever, then I might reconsider it. That's, that's, that's the honest right. answer. I might still say it. I don't know, maybe <laughs> once, you know, and then be like, mm, I regret that. Or, you know, maybe that's not going to really work. Or is there something funnier than this? But generally, that's my philosophy as a comedian, because I care about the world and I care about people who uh, tend to be not in power. And so um, that's how I think about what I will not talk about. OK, before yeah. we go to break, last question before we go to break, when you said earlier, we had talked about the changing uh, dynamics and the changing landscape of, of comedy. How do you find it's how, what do you find that has changed in the last decade or so? Yeah, I would say in the time that I started about 10 years ago, the the vibes have changed a lot. I feel like when I first started and I talked a lot about being Asian American and immigrant and diversity, sometimes it took a little bit for people to receive that. Um, the Asian American audiences that I talked to or the people of color audiences I talked to definitely understood. But in terms of a mainstream audience, there was still a little bit of a of a separation. I think for for the most part, more people are hip to uh, diversity issues and and you know hearing about the backgrounds and the stories of people who who are not like them, um, especially if you're Asian, because our the representation of Asian Americans in media has been um, relatively little, especially ten years ago. So, um, well, yeah, say horrible. Yes, or terrible. <laughs> but I would say I would say also um, because of Twitter, a lot of the sort of uh, more progressive and left ideas. And the ideas that come from college campuses have become much more popularized to the point where the right has to like, you know, twist and turn the terms like woke and, you know, critical race theory. Oh, all you have to do <laughs> is say either one of those words to some people. <laughs> and it's like, have you ever sprayed it, or put salt on a snail and watch them wriggle and shrivel and die? That's, Yikes. Just say those words, woke, oh, yeah. or just say critical race theory. And either one of them are simply 
if critical race theory is, I don't know, teaching history, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, yeah. Is respecting other people. Yeah. And for forgets. a minute, for a minute, um, talking about that perspective was fine, but now there's this backlash. And so that's what we have to acknowledge. I think that's what sort of stretched the divisiveness even farther apart is there's a backlash to, to, you know, this other sort of more left or progressive perspective that was coming up. Um, and so, yeah, I don't use the word woke anymore, or I don't use the word any of that, you know, intersectionality. It's all big college <laughs> words. You know, it doesn't, it, it, in the well, end, it actually this didn't. This morning and my wife looked at me, I'm telling you, you know, that's, <laughs> I, mean... <laughs> I mean, as a good comedian, ideally you don't use those big words because you want to be understood and not everyone understands really those words. And so not, unless you're really about to make a whole bit describing what that word is, then, right. then use other words. You know what I'm saying? Use more simple words that most people can understand. I feel like that's a or generally a better defined. I mean, exactly. So exactly. It's pretty easy. Those are just four letters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. It, so it means one thing to one set of people and another thing to another. And exactly. So what you're talking about is trying to reach to communicate to both, you know, finding cross communication, I guess. Yeah. And then if you want to, you can also be a comedian that does a joke that's very antagonistic to a certain group. You can do that. You know, you oh, can I call think, people yeah. out for sure. <laughs> right. It's not that you always have to be someone who's like trying to bridge divisiveness. No, no, you can no, call that people was, out. I mean, Richard Pryor made you laugh because he purposely at, at times did not. And it seemed so yeah. organic when he did, you know, yeah. there was one bit when I am, um, and it will, I'll, I'll do this real quickly before we go to break. I mean, there was one bit he did in the seventies about, he said, uh, you white people, of course you like the cops. They, they live in your neighborhood and you know, the, and you recognize them as officer Timpkins. We're going to go bowling this weekend. He says, that's not me. He says, yeah. I'm the guy that's like, I am reaching into my wallet for my license. Do that's not right. my ass. And, yeah. and so, but he made you laugh at it because while he wasn't pandering, he was, he was recognizing the real violence that we still have today, but he made you laugh doing it, which of I course. Was, yeah. And that's, that's the secret. It's yeah. a, a, a whole lot of medicine could go down if you yeah, put if enough you comedic sugar laugh. on it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to extend that conversation when we come back, we're talking to Jenny Yang, a, an American comedian, a one on the must watch list from variety in 2020. I saw her, I saw her a few weeks ago on my birthday. Very enjoyable. We'll come back. We'll be right back right after this. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me is Jenny Yang. A, well, I'm going to still say young comedian because, you know, you're younger than me. I'll take uh, it. <laughs> the, the depth of comedy. One of the things I like, and I know this sounds pretentious or is potentially pretentious, but I find that there is a wonderful 
aspect of comedy that people don't understand. Look, you're up there to get a laugh. I mean, yeah. I that's I nobody ever got Ideally. up on stage to teach philosophy. It's you know no. you're, not, you're not a stand-up philosopher, but it's at the same time. And and you know, apologies to Mel Brooks and you know his stand-up philosophy and <clears throat> history of the world part two. But at the same time, it is a bit of I mean, by opening eyes, don't you feel like there's there's a a definite uh, advantage to having stand-up comedians make you laugh at things that otherwise you would not laugh at. Yeah, I mean, your basic job as a comedian is to be the court jester. You're the jester, you're the clown. But the bonus of <laughs> working in this field is you get to tell people whatever you want to tell them. And if you're good at it, they'll think about what you want them to think about. And so that to me is the powerful part of becoming a comedian because, you know, um, you say there's a lot of similarities between politics and comedy, but I would say the big difference is um, falling on a banana peel is not exactly, you know, part of the job description of, 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 of a person in politics. I think um, you haven't seen anybody in Congress lately then. Yeah. <laughs> figuratively. <laughs> green. <laughs> figuratively, that is the job of certain politicians physically. No, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, and, but, and I do feel like there's been a convergence of the kind of uh, entertainment factor of politics with comedy as entertainment as well like so so that always I, I feel like there used to be more of a firewall in terms of you know what is propriety you know what is proper in politics the proper etiquette the proper norms versus entertainment and comedy it's all merged a lot of it is merged and so <laughs> yeah there's no etiquette anymore i know politics. i know it's a little bit no holds barred now. I do you remember back when because I'm from Taiwan? Do you remember like maybe even a decade ago when when Americans would just laugh about how in Taiwan there's like the government and the Congress they would like have fist fights with each other. There would these be these viral videos. Oh look at those the, the Taiwanese Congress whatever doing their thing. And now that feels like not. Oh, it feels like sat I, I mean, it, when you've watched somebody like uh, Lauren Boebert walk on stage and do her Mean Girls impression while she's. <laughs> strutting her stuff and saying she's you know she loves guns you just go i did these people not do they I, I i go back to the movie idiocracy and go did you not see that movie do you not understand you're a living caricature of a human being or josh holly who pretends to be you know this this tough guy and then you've got video of him on on you know the day of the insurrection literally running tiptoe through the capitol yeah, and, and you almost want to put the theme from Benny Hill to it. Da -da 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 -da. You know, or oh. Chariots of Fire. I said he did his Chariots and Fire impression. These are all posers. The thing I find about <laughs> well, the thing I find about comedians, they're honest. They're a little more yes. honest than the politicians. I would say so. You um I used to say this for sure that, you know, the only difference between working in politics and being a comedian is that I'm rewarded for my for my honesty now as a comedian. Oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. It's true. You know, um, I used to be I, essentially a lobbyist or a community and political organizer for the Service Employees International Union. And, you know, there's talking points and there's things you want to stick with when you work on, say, testimony, public testimony of a member leader. You're you know, you, you there's certain things you got to hit and it's it's very crafted for a, a political purpose. And that's different from crafting a comedic set just to share your own perspective it's obvious well, obviously it's much freer you know to yeah. just be jenny yang this is what jenny yang thinks yeah yeah 
So do you remember is, uh, uh, do, do you have a favorite time on stage or a time when you, is there a laugh that you remember or something that you will hold dear in, in that regard from being on stage? Oh, yeah. Um, man, I have to say two, two types of laugh that I can remember that when you ask this question. One is, you know, when I first started, I was fortunate enough to be a part of a bunch of uh, viral BuzzFeed videos around 2013 that got me to go to different universities. And I think the idea of talking about your identity felt really fresh back then, especially for the youths. And so um, I love the inner, the youth. <laughs> I love the energy I got from them. But one in particular, at, around that time, I also produced my own stand-up shows and toured around the country. And we did, one of our bigger shows was a 700 plus theater, the Tower Theater in Fresno. Oh, and yeah. Fresno, Tower Theater, you know, a, a, a classic venue. Know the venue, um, yeah. Yeah, one of the bigger venues in Fresno. Fresno, Central California, arguably sometimes not Asian enough. And so all the Asians showed up to my show. We sold, we sold out the show. All the Asians so, so, uh, showed up. Southeast Asians, Filipinos, everyone, a lot of Southeast Asians, a lot of Hmong folks. And so I would say the excitement around that time of the sort of Central Valley Asians that showed up to the show, it was packed they heard my stories or they heard our stories and just appreciated it so much. They loved it. The laughter was deep in their lower chakras. You know what I mean? Like it's everything, <laughs> every, every part of their body was appreciative of the fact that they could see themselves reflected back to them. And I used to joke, like my last name is Yang. And even though that's not, I'm not among Yang, you could claim me as your family because there's a lot of Yangs who are Hmong, H-M-O-N-G. Yeah. I know. So uh, yeah. So that, that would be one of them. The, you had to slow down the, the the theater was so big you had to slow down your pacing so that the ripple of the laughter could come back to you wow you know? that's yeah. a good feeling i know yeah. what you're talking about that's a great <laughs> feeling <laughs> yeah and then and then the other one was i was uh, i was scheduled to perform at uc santa barbara about a week exactly a week after the isla vista shooting of that young man who went around yep. isla vista and shot um and he had all that sort of weird manifesto about Asians and white people. It was very scary. And so it's not like the best feeling, but I would say it was a very significant, meaningful feeling to be able to perform for them exactly a week after that devastating mass shooting. Um, and this, and, and literally we all cried <laughs> oh, yeah. to, to start the set and on stage, I talked seriously about how my heart went out to them and how it was so upsetting to hear about the tragedy. And I literally, as a comedian on stage, I had to ask permission of the audience to be like, hey, so this is a comedy show. Can we try this? And they clapped and 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 then we were off to the races. And to me, that was a very meaningful experience to have that and be there for them. Have you ever had anyone steal any of your jokes? And how do you feel about those comedians who do? Um, no, I don't think I've, I don't think I'm aware of anyone stealing a joke. I would say no, one guy stealing a, a, an Asian American joke would be, <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do have someone, I do have someone who will not will remain nameless, who I told this person about an idea for a podcast. Um, and, and they they're like, Oh, that's it. great. And they use the phrase now and they use their phrase, this phrase as their sort of sign off. Oh. at the end of every podcast and I was like listen that's like so small I got more ideas we don't yeah, need to that, worry about that I, I had one there was a bit that I did um 
you know, in the seventies that you were told that if you take LSD, it, it, you know, you'll take it now and then you're going to have a flashback 10 years later. And as a budding capitalist, I said, well, that great. That's a two for one deal. You know, I'm going, I, I get the trip now and then I get a free trip later. So, <laughs> it's true. Now it's been what 30, 40 years and I've never had a flashback and I'm going, who do I sue? I got screwed. <laughs> <laughs> and someone stole that bit. Then I won't say who, but it, oh. and, it was, and it bugged the crap out of me. And they were <laughs> a good comedian too. And mm-hmm. I was only on, I only met them one time and it, and I did that bit and they stole it. And I was like, you. I feel I, like I, yeah, I'd like to think that that's more of an old school comedy culture thing where if you're a more well-known, you know, making more money comedian and you hear a bit you like and you use it, then you kind of burn that bit for that, you know, lesser comedian. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's messed up, but I, I hear it all the time that that's what sort of this sort of unspoken thing that older comedians used to do. I don't know if that's the culture now. I, I think it's uh, it just I, I don't know if it's older comedians. I think it's the it more the road comics. I, I yeah, mean, I, I was on the uh, East Coast in a place in uh, uh, Virginia with my wife in a comedy place and a comedian i know used to do this great bit about a jet ski and um i get on stage and a guy i'd never seen before did the bit word for word changed one word instead of getting on the jet ski and going to aruba he was on the jet ski and went to cuba other than that (laughs) and it still rhymed it still rhymed yeah yeah and you know and you work so hard to craft a bit you yeah, know, I, I've known comedians that we used to say you would polish the funny off a joke, but you do right. polish a lot of your humor to get it up there and you work a bit hard to get it to the right place. And after a while, you know whether or not the audience is going to laugh and you know yeah. when they're going to laugh and you know how to say. And that's the thing I always ask every comedian when you do a bit that you know is going to going to do well and it doesn't. What do you think? <laughs> then you move on. I mean, <laughs> just that's, that's all you got to do. You know, this is an ephemeral practice. This is an ephemeral art. Okay. You just, it happens and then it's over. So that's, that's the, both the beauty and the curse of doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take one other short break. We'll be back. Stick around. It's just ask the question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and we'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Question's newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And with us today is Jenny Yang, politician, <laughs> lobbyist, I mean, and formerly, comedian. Formerly. But formerly arguably... <laughs> I used to think when I first got started like 10 years ago in comedy, I thought, well, 
whatever I say now is going to be used against me if I ever want to go into politics. So I just got to assume that I could never be a politician or go into elected office. And now 10 years later, I completely have gone back on that because apparently <laughs> if you are a clown, you can become president. So this is where we are. You know what I mean? You really think. <laughs> I really did think that you used to be like, oh, if I if I get, became too honest about my own personal opinions as a comedian, uh, that means I, I can say goodbye to working in politics. And now it's completely the opposite. You've got to be a clown in order to become a politician. Man, you just said a whole mouthful there. There's 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 <laughs> there's, there's there's a hard five on stage in that. <laughs> we came back around on it. We did. Yeah. I, it, but but I was groomed. I literally through being a student body president. I went to Girl State. I went to college. Was a student activist. Majored in pol political science and policy with a focus on you know modern political theory. I went to UCLA for grad school. I got a full ride for that. Like. I was on that path. I went to, I got a Coro fellowship. I don't know if anyone knows what a Coro fellowship is. It's, it's like a high powered internship for, for people who are going to become government relations people and elected politicians. I mean, five of the 12 people in my Coro fellowship class in LA ran for office or are in office. Wow. So yeah, yeah. this was, this and was you're the on stage doing comedy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is the cohort that I came up with. And then I, and then I left them because I was like, this is, this does not seem fun. Um, but you know, nowadays I'm just like, wow, maybe later on when I finally feel like I've sort of, you know, expressed my creative needs through my career now, Someday, who knows? Never say never. Maybe I'll run for office. Well, yeah, uh, there was a senator from Illinois that was, uh, you know, on Saturday Night Live. Who was that? Oh, come on. Al Franken. Oh, yes. Well, yeah. Illinois. <laughs> I thought he was Minnesota. See, yeah, I'm sorry, Minnesota. I said, yeah. Brian Karam, facts only. Come yeah, on. Facts. <laughs> I was like, it's Minnesota. He's Minnesota. And he was in, you know, what was funny is, you know, I remember him, Franken and Davis on Saturday Night Live. And then yes. remember him, you spoke of Eddie Murphy earlier and he was in, yeah. a, uh, was it Trading Places? He was, oh, uh, yes. him and his buddy were on, you know, played on the train who put the ape in the cage. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going, he's a senator. <laughs> I know. I know the the rules are gone out the window. We could just do whatever we want, you know? Well, that, uh, Ronald Reagan did that when, you know, he became a, you know, he was a grade B movie actor and became president. After that, I see I, okay, that's my rant. I'll say that, uh, and I don't know if you're a Ronald Reagan fan or not, but I think he ruined politics and he's uh, the worst and he set the table for everything that came after. And I believe that. Yeah. He, he, I believe that. He was horrible. Just, to, but he was, he couldn't even get elected in today's uh, no he's he he's not yeah he's definitely more um he's he's considered a centrist now i would say yeah the political spectrum has shifted to the right as possible destroyed labor unions you talk yep. about being a labor organizer he destroyed yeah. labor unions health care my business he he destroyed that supply side economics and made the rich richer and the poor poor oh and man that, with all that being said he was one of the most gracious people i ever met in the white house yeah, I mean that's the thing, you know. He he set the he set the tone for being very charismatic and charming while fucking you in the ass. So that's really yes, and, and, what. <laughs> and, and Donald Trump just removed the Vaseline. Exactly. No, I would I would agree with that. I feel like Donald Trump really made uh, people who consider themselves progressives or liberals very upset because he didn't play by the sort of etiquette and decorum. Well, uh, he made anybody who's cogent and can breathe upset. It was only those people who are incapable 
of independent thought who who found yeah. him. And, and he was, I always thought he would have been better as a, you know, like, you know, the, the masked comic. I, I just don't see, he, he, yeah. he always thought of himself as being on stage. He still does. Yes. Yes. And he doesn't understand he's a bad stand-up comic. He's one of those <laughs> open mic night comics who thinks he's better than he is. You know what I'm talking about? I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're running out of time. And I've, I've loved this time. I'd love to have you back. <laughs> Any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? And if you've got something you want to plug. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners are in the Los Angeles area, but April 5th, April 5th. Uh, very soon, I have my the first of a new live comedy show called Self Help Me, colon, a competitive self-care comedy show. It's a little bit like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, but about right. wellness and self-care. And it's happening at the Dynasty Typewriter, a great comedy venue, April 5th, Wednesday at 7.30 in Los Angeles. JennyYang.tv for tickets. Okay. And on uh, Twitter, we can find you at? Of course, at Jenny Yang TV on Twitter and Instagram. I'm always on there. I'm starting to get on TikTok, but, um, I know, you but know, I hate it too. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, but, but I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram. So come talk to me about whatever you want there. Sounds great. Jenny, thanks for joining us. I've had a lot of fun. Well, you, you, this you is great. Yeah. All right. Yes. This is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>